You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, you can take your seats. And while you're doing that, get your Bibles out and open them up to uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 13. We're going to really just kind of launch out of uh, one of the verses there as uh, we continue in our marriage series, You, Me, and He. Um, The message title today is When Marriage is a Gross Thing. When Marriage is a Gross Thing. Uh, This week, we kind of take a look at the flip side of marriage and, um, you know, sadly, Sadly, sin encroaches in marriages, and sometimes the results are devastating. And as we do a series on marriage, we need to be complete to the whole discussion. And and so this message is necessary. It's not an easy message. It's a difficult message. It's a difficult message to preach. It's also a difficult message to hear because uh, some of you are living this right now. Uh, Maybe um, through your childhood and you watched a marriage that was a gross thing or maybe that's where your marriage is today and uh, you just find that it's a difficult, difficult thing and I'm trusting that the Lord will minister to you and minister to your heart as uh, we hear principles from God's word today. So get your Bibles open by now. Let's stand together. I'm going to read the first eight verses of uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, Really the thought jumps out of verse four mostly. Um, But I never want to take God's word out of context, so listen as I read. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And that the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today and the principles we're going to um, learn from it. Father, today, for uh, very many people in the room, will not be an easy message to hear. And that we might be even inclined to be resistant, but Lord, would your spirit work in our hearts and bring us to the place of hearing your word and the principles of it and understanding and responding as your spirit would work in us, Father, that we would set aside our prejudice and our pride and our own sin if necessary. Lord, I pray for the person who hears the title of this message and goes, that's my life, my marriage is a gross thing. Or, or the young person who's in the room and goes, if you see my mom and dad, you would understand just how gross it is. And Lord, I want to be sensitive to them. I want to encourage their hearts. And Lord, you want to speak the truth and ask, Lord, that you would work uh, through this message for your glory. Give us ears, Lord, that we would listen carefully to what you are saying. 
minds, God, to be able to comprehend the truth, and then hearts, God, to passionately, passionately, God, live out for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. But when marriage is a gross thing, you know, I can say this with a 100% certainty, a God-centered marriage is never a gross thing. A God-centered marriage is never a gross thing. Uh, there are marriages that are gross. Um, they're despicable. They're sinful. They're not honoring to the Lord. But a marriage where God is on the throne, it's never a gross thing. It doesn't mean it won't be a difficult thing. It doesn't mean you won't go through hard things. It might, won't even be that you're not sure how you'll get to the end of this day as you work through what you're working through. But when God is on the throne, he will always, always, always come through. But when he's not, when one person decides that I'm going to be on the throne or both people decide I'm going to be on the throne, then marriage becomes a gross thing. We see it all over our society. There's really not much hope for marriage in our society today. You look at how it's been expanded out and everything that's included under this title called marriage, and you just see from God's perspective how despicable, how gross it can even be. And so some of you have grown up in that. Some of you are living it. Some of you are. And so I want to be really, really careful today. I want to be sensitive. This is one of those messages in a pastor's life. You just kind of like, let's not do that one. Let's let this one slide. Let the people figure it out on their own. But I wasn't called to just preach the fun stuff or called to preach the truth and to... And so here's what I want to try and do best I can as your shepherd is to carefully lead you through this and lovingly lead you through this knowing that um, some people in the room have been deeply hurt and grieved in some of these things. And so we want to love on you and care for you. But we need to speak the truth of God's word. And so we'll do that um, this morning. So let's start out by uh, just really quickly going back and see God's design reviewed. And uh, let's remember what um, we started out in the very first week of this series, marriage is a God thing. And I, I gave you a definition on that day. And the definition of marriage is marriage, <clears throat> marriage is a God-ordained covenant relationship between a man and a woman. The relationship is a loving lifelong, sexually exclusive companionship. It is God's design for bringing children into the world and thus sustain the stewardship of the earth. Biblical marriage displays the relationship between God and his people. Keywords, keywords, God ordained. This is God's idea. It's a covenant. It's more than just a promise. It's more than just a contract. This is a before God thing. What Sue and I said together on May the 26th, 1979, wasn't just the two of us to agree to do it. It was before God Almighty. It was a covenant uh, that we were making to each other. It's between a man and a woman. You just have to do the simple reading of God's word. Despite what society says, God's word is clear that a marriage is between a man and a woman. It's to be loving. It's to be lifelong. It's to be sexually exclusive for the purpose of um, bringing children into the world, at least one of them, a couple people after the service last week of, um, you know, marriage is a personal thing, asked me, how many new babies do you think we're going to have in the nursery in 10 months? 
Um, I don't know what the over-under is on that or anything. I'm just really not going down that path. But the reality is, um, who knows what the Lord might do. It's, it's, a, it's a church growth strategy. And, uh, and so... <laughs> Biblical marriage displays the relationship between God and his people. And that's why this marriage piece is so critical. And that's why when marriage is, is a gross thing, it can be um, so devastating. So we looked at marriage as a good thing. It's not good that man should be alone. We looked at marriage as a growing and a grace thing. You should be working on your marriage. If you're married today, you need to be working at your marriage every day. Every day, you should be working, you should be studying your spouse, you should be learning about them, you should be growing together, you should be being challenged together. It's a, it's a growing thing, and then hand in hand with that, believe me, it's a grace thing. You're married to me, you need a lot of grace. And uh, so Sue experiences that, the grace poured out every day, it's a grace thing. Last week, it's a personal thing. Next week, we're going to take a look at marriage, marriage is a glorifying thing, and that's how we'll finish the series. But today we want to take a look at the hard, the hard story, the difficulty, the pain, and even the hurt when marriage is a gross thing. But God's design, God's design was clear. And then there's man's sinfulness, and uh, marriage would be a wonderful thing if the man hadn't sinned, and there was no fall, and there was what we did, and we, are, we find ourselves in, in a desperate state as mankind, separated from God, and, you know, uh, man's sinfulness exposed. We see some words in Scripture that define um, what we look like outside of Christ. You have words like, um, we're blind, we can't see can't see the need that's in front of us even until God shows it to us. We are deaf. We, we don't hear. We can't hear. We are lost and we don't know how to get found. You, you can't find God on your own. You can't. And we're dead, the Bible says. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. That's the, that's the picture that we have. And so what God planned, what God's desire was for a beautiful thing in a relationship was, was destroyed and hurt and bruised and because of sin, because of sin. Because of sin, we are fallen people. Genesis 3, 22 and 24 says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And we are fallen people. The sinfulness that we all have experienced. We're fallen. And the fall that separates us on our personal level is the, the same fall that impacts our marriages and can turn them from something that's supposed to be beautiful and great to something that is, quite frankly, gross. Proverbs 4.16 says, For they cannot sleep unless they've done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. That's the nature of man. We are fallen people. And we are broken people. The warning that we find in Hebrews 13, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Why? Because God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. 
The person who makes this thing that God made to be a beautiful thing into a gross thing, God will judge them. Broken people, hardened people. Matthew 19, 8, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. It's not supposed to be like this. We're not supposed to be looking for a way out. God's design for marriage was that it would be a beautiful thing and a glorious thing and a thing that would shine light on him and his fame. But because of the hardness of people's hearts, because of sinfulness, because I want what I want, but it was not like this from the beginning. It's not what God designed. It's not what God desired. We are hardened people. The reality of Scripture teaches us that because of sin, we are we're hopeless. We're hopeless without the working of Jesus Christ. And, and that's true in our salvation. And I flip back over into the book of Romans. We're going to camp here for a couple of minutes, look at a number of verses and, and how God describes who we are and all the rest of it. We are, we are hopeless without Christ. Let me tell you this. Your marriage is hopeless if God's not on the throne. Yeah, you might survive, but you won't thrive in your marriage if Christ isn't first in your marriage. The sinfulness that is demonstrated throughout Romans, it, it, it shows our, our desperate place as hopeless people, but it's also a reminder for us that um, sin on the throne in our marriage will lead to terrible consequences. Now Romans 1 and verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Romans 2, verses 4 to 6 say, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his work. In Romans 3.10, it's written, None is righteous, not even one. In verse 11, no one understands, no one seeks for God. In verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now that's the picture of who we are. That's the picture of our desperate state. And when our marriage is rooted in sinfulness and not focused on the Lord God, it's no wonder that we see gross results in marriages. In chapter 7 and verse 18, it says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Um, in Romans 7, verse 24 says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. And that's where hope starts to spring out of this as we consider who we are as individuals, consider who we are without Christ. And, and the wages as a result of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You see, the hope for my marriage is not me, and it's not Sue. The hope for my marriage is Christ. 
The hope for my marriage is Christ on the throne. The hope for my marriage is Christ first. It's the same thing as in my personal life. My hope, my hope is not based on how hard I try or what I can accomplish. My hope, my singular hope is based, is based on what Jesus Christ has done, the free gift of God through Jesus Christ the Lord. And so if you're in a marriage today and your marriage is a gross thing, ask yourself, firstly, am I a follower of Jesus Christ? You get that right, and there's so much more will get right in your life. And you get that wrong, then you're on your own, and it's not going to work out well for you. It's not going to work out well for you um, in eternity. It's not going to work out well for you in your marriage. You need to know the Lord. This is God's plan. This is God's design. This is what he wanted for us. This is why Jesus Christ came. This is why he died. This is why he rose again so that we could have life. But God showed his love for us, Romans 5, 8 says, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. And then over in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says this, because if we confess with our, your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then in 8.1 it says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Like that's, you get that right. Get that right first. If your marriage today is a gross thing, not even knowing how I'm going to define it, you already know just sitting there, then make sure Christ is in the right place. And if he's not on the throne of your life, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, that's the gift that's offered to you. That's far more important than anything that's happening in your marriage today is making sure Jesus Christ is your Savior. He is your Lord. You put your trust in him because that is the foundation on which you will build your marriage. That's the foundation on which your marriage will be, quote, unquote, successful. That's what God calls us to. God's design reviewed, man's sinfulness exposed. You know, it's interesting that there's a great verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, this is the will of God, your sanctification. We often stop the verse at that point. It's not, it's not wrong to stop the verse at that point. This is the will of God, your holiness, that you would be a holy person. This is the will of God. And so we, we challenge people with that and we challenge them with that. And um, So what does God want for you? He wants you to be holy. He wants you to be focused on him. He wants you to be about what he wants for your life. He wants you to put him first. Right? Sure, that's all true. But it's a little bit out of the context of what the verse actually leads to and where Paul actually goes with it. This is the will of God, your sanctification. What? That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, this is the will of God, your holiness, that you would be a holy person, that you would grow up more and more to be like Jesus Christ every single day. Why? Because we can't do this on our own. 
sinfulness will always lead to the destruction, whether it's in our, our personal thoughts, whether it's in our business plan, whether it's in our, yeah, we might have a plan that works for mankind, but it doesn't work in our, our justification before God. It doesn't work in our righteousness. This is the will of God that you would be sanctified. And so before we get into the meat and the bones and the, all the rest of it of this message, I, I need to give a warning to the church. I need to give a warning to the church. Our elders have just finished reading a book on the uh, prodigal son and studying it together. Um, and the writer of that book um, really been helpful for me because um, he talks about the two sons in that story. And you have the rebellious son in the story of the prodigal son who, who says, I want what I can have, dad. And he leaves and he goes off and he lives in riotous living. He's living with women. He's living in sin. He's doing all the things that you should not be doing. And then he remembers his dad and he goes home and he gets right with his dad and his dad throws a banquet and he's at the banquet. It's a great story. It's always where I always focused on that and God's working of the rebellious people and God's restoration of rebellious people and all the rest. And, but you know what? That's not really who Jesus was talking to in that story. Jesus was actually talking to the Pharisees in that story and he was talking about the older brother. What was his problem? Self-righteousness. He always did the right thing. He always dotted his I's and crossed his T's spiritually like you're supposed to. He was the goody two-shoes and... And at the end of the story, there's a banquet going on, and he's not at the banquet. Why? Because of his self-righteousness. And so my warning for us as we get into the next part of this message is guard your heart for your own self-righteousness. Maybe your marriage isn't a gross thing. Maybe your marriage is kind of sweet right now, and it's going along well, and you're thankful to the Lord for that. And See, as your pastor, it's so easy for me to sit across my desk from you and talk to you as you're going through something. You know, Why can't they get it? Why can't they just do the right thing? Why can't they just smarten up? And I've got a beam in my own eye. And the beam's called self-righteousness. And if you think about maybe somebody who's in the room who's struggling in their marriage, and you're like, why can't, guy, why can't that guy just get it? Be careful. Warning, warning, warning. Matthew 7 says, why do, you seek, uh, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there's a log in your own eye? And so I'm telling you about that warning because that was the warning God gave to me as I was preparing this message. Paul, be very careful. So easy to see the problem in somebody else. It's so easy to be judgmental about something else. It's so easy to take a message like this and thus saith the Lord without coming with humbleness and with a, with a, a quietness of spirit. And yeah, am I going to speak the truth? You better believe I'm going to speak the truth. But how do I do that in a loving and a caring way for the person who is struggling because they're receiving this evil or for the person who's even doing it when, when I find myself in my own life with my stuff, not that stuff, but my own stuff. So a great warning for us um, as we hear the word in the rest of this message. Sickening implications considered. When marriage is a gross thing, all the things we want to talk about that make marriage a gross thing are ultimately because you've taken God off of the throne and put self on the throne. Um, 
I want us to look at a number of them. We're going to camp on one of them more significantly just because that's what I've chosen based on some things I've seen and heard over the last months. But the first one I want to talk about, though, is moral failure. When marriage is a gross thing because of moral failure, I'm not talking about adultery right now. I'm talking about things like pornography. Um, talking about getting our eyes fixed on other when our eyes should be fixed first on the Lord, but then on our spouse. Pornography is rampant all over our world. It's rampant all over our lives. You basically can't live on our streets today or turn on your television without seeing something that really you shouldn't be seeing. And some of that you can't control, but much of it you can control. And, and so this person who you've been married to for 10 years, they find out that you've been engaged in pornography and all of a sudden, the trust is broken. The, I, I thought our vows were you for me and me for you for the rest of our lives, and I find out that it's not true. You're divided. You're not, you're not for me in this area. You're for yourself in this area, and, and trust is broken, and your marriage becomes a gross thing because you chose to put yourself on the throne in this area. As I said last week, the trust switch, it gets flicked off in a hurry. It's like a dimmer switch coming back on. It takes time. It takes God's grace. It takes God's mercy. It takes forgiveness. It takes... But because of moral decisions, moral decisions lead so many marriages to become a gross thing. And the hurt and the pain that happens with mom and dad is then trickles down to the kids and all the rest of it because of the impact that's happened in this relationship. The moral failure, the second one that goes hand in hand with it is adultery. Adultery. Um, I spent some time with a couple at the end of the last service who um, they talked about um, a family member who is right now in the midst of trying to figure out what do I do now? What do I do? My spouse has been unfaithful, it seems, for like, Years, three, four years. And it's all starting to bubble out. There's kids involved. And it's a gross thing. And it doesn't honor the Lord and it's not right. Adultery. I've chosen to take what I want instead of what God has given to me. Abandonment. It's been an interesting message, this message, and talking to people after the services. And um, we prayed with a lady at the end of the last service who said uh, that her uh, husband abandoned them four years ago. Just walked out the door. The only time they ever hear from him is when he wants something. It makes me angry, I gotta say. Just decided, yeah, I've, I've had enough. I'm not doing this anymore. And that marriage is a gross, gross thing. The cool thing is this lady loves the Lord. She's seeking to move forward, trusting God, and, and struggling through it. But abandonment makes marriage a gross thing. The next one is abuse, and I want to kind of uh, camp here a little bit um, today and help us understand this um, and how does that work? And how do we deal with this in marriage? And what does it look like? And, you know, abuse can be mental, emotional, psychological. It can be physical. And I'm going to separate physical and sexual. It can be physical. It can be sexual. 
Um, the reality is all abuse is evil and sinful and it must be dealt with. It's not just a man-to-woman thing or a father-to-kids thing. Today we hear about elder abuse or where the wife is abusing the husband or the kids and sin is rampant in our world and there's no strong guidelines. There's no biblical principle and it's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better. But that is not to be our story. That's not to be the story in the church. We are supposed to look different. We are supposed to be different you know, I have a website that I use um, in preparation. Pretty much every week I go to this website for something in my message. Um, it's called Got Questions. Got Questions. Somebody told me as a teacher, don't, everybody give, don't ever give your people your best source. Okay? So I'm letting the cat out of the bag. So um, gotquestions.com. Uh, you need to go find it on your computer, and you need to ask all kinds of questions there. It's a great tool. Um, and so I was, I, I look at it for all things. What, what, what does justification mean? What does, what is a marriage? What is all kinds of stuff I use it as a source. And uh, one of the things I used it as a source was for this week's message on the area of abuse and what is abuse and what does it mean and how are we supposed to handle it? So the next part of this message isn't mine. I stole it right out of God questions. Okay. And, uh, but some good things to think about, um, the word abuse is used to describe the mistreatment or misuse of, misuse of virtually anything. Um, we speak of abuse of drugs, of trust, of institutions, of objects, and um, these forms of abuse are sinful for the same reason that abuse directed to people is sinful. Such mistreatment, here it is, is motivated by selfishness and results in damage and destruction. People abuse others for a variety of reasons, but selfishness and pride and arrogance and I want what I want underlies all abuse. All abuse. I don't get my way. And I'm going to get my way and I'm going to take it, even if you don't like it. It's called abuse. I was good with the article and then I came to the next part and it's like, oh. And he said this, the article said this, everyone is guilty of abuse. I'm like, no, I haven't beat my wife. I've never sexually mistreated her. I, I, don't, I don't play mind games all the time. I don't try to manipulate my family into, I don't do that as a matter of course. And everyone's guilty of abuse at some level because everyone falls short of God's command to love others sacrificially. So at some level, we're all guilty of this thing called abuse because I'm not willing to love sacrificially for something. Why? Because I want what I want. And I take what I take, which means you don't get what you should get. It's called abuse. It's called abuse. Now, I get it. It's not sexual abuse. It's not physical abuse. And it's not, but don't let your one out of 10 thing give you a pass because we have an I'm not like him right? You're not going to give an account for whether you're like him or not. You're going to even account for whether you're like Jesus or not. And so we're all a little bit guilty of this. And sometimes it's subtle and under the surface and people can't really see it very much. But, you know, maybe, maybe that emotional attack, the criticism, the favoritism, the manipulation, the deceit, the threats, the withholding of love, anyone can be an abuser doesn't matter if it, your age is, your gender, your ethnicity, your background. Um, but then I want to give a word to children today. 
because there's just too many people in the church who were abused as children. And they're trying to figure out what I did wrong. Somehow it's my fault. My dad beat me because I was a... This happened to me because I did... That's a lie. It's not true. Now, I was as obnoxious a kid as any other kid in the room or you as a child. And a few times I needed a spanking along the way. But I was never abused by my parents, ever. So I can't live the life you've lived. I can't even necessarily understand the pain that it's caused. But I can tell you this. If you were abused as a child, do not allow the lie to creep into your mind that this is your fault. That somehow you did it and it's your fault that your dad beat you. It's not your fault. What happened to you was sinful. And you have to work through, you need, might need help for it, but you need to have to work through how I come to the place of driving the stake in the ground and I'm letting that go and I'm going to trust the Lord moving forward because, because if you don't, what happens, it tends to repeat, tends to come out in your life. We want to be so careful of this in our life, but I want you to hear from me that if you were abused as a child, I'm talking about abuse as a child, it's not your fault. Don't allow anybody to push that on you. It's a lie. The Bible regards abuse as sin because we're called to love one another. And when we don't, we're basically in an abusive relationship. If you found yourself in that and you're hearing this message today and you're like, well, that, you, you're kind of describing what my life was like and the abuse that I was under. And only Jesus can heal those wounds. The world can't heal those wounds. Psychology is not going to heal those. They may give you coping mechanisms, but only a relationship with Christ is going to heal those wounds. And only through the power of the Holy Spirit of God can those wounds be healed and can you move forward. And then a comment to someone who might be abusive in this room. We need to own our abusiveness. So even if I've said, as I've said today, and you're like, well, okay, but I'm not going to jail kind of abuse. I just, like, sometimes I get selfish. I'm, okay, well, then allow that to be maybe what you needed to hear today. How am I going to work on that in the way I manipulate my, my wife or my husband as I want what I want and as I they get before the Lord and get that right and talk to each other about those things. Those are things that you can work through and, and God will help you with. And, but then I want to go on and I want to talk about physical and sexual abuse. I want to spend a little bit of time about that because um, the scars and the depth of those scars. I've, I've talked to people in our church in the last six weeks who, who watched parents physically abuse watched a mom get beaten by a dad who was supposed to be a spiritual leader. And hearing that person tell the story and the devastation in their own life of watching their dad who's supposed to be guiding them and helping them and he's doing this stuff to his mom. And it was years ago and they didn't know what to do and they basically just lived with it and... Um, but there's no excuse for this. There's no excuse for a man to be hitting his wife. None. And vice versa. There's no excuse for sexual gratification that's done in an abusive way. There's no excuse for it. It's sinful. It's illegal. It needs to be identified and if there's physical abuse going on in your home or there's 
sexual abuse going on in your home, you need to phone the police. You need to phone the police. See, what happens is, well, I hope it'll get better. Maybe if we just try harder, it'll be okay. If, it's a, if you're being sexually abused or physically abused or your kids are being sexually abused or physically abused, you need to phone the police. But, but you know, it's going to get worse if I do that. You need to phone the police. Don't condone what's going on. Don't support what's going on. I, I hear kids and I hear them tell the story about what was happening and the other parent knew and they didn't do anything. Call the police. And then call the church and ask for help. No, no, but I don't want everybody to know. Well, that's called your pride getting in the way and you look at the destruction that's happening in your home. It's not just going to get better. Ask for help. In every service, I've said the same thing. How dare us at the end of a service say, you are loved. You are loved. And then not love you when you ask for help. And I don't know what we would have to do. I don't know what would be required. But I can tell you this. We're going to love you and we're going to care for you. And we're going to seek to help you. And at the end of the day, we want to see God glorified in all of this. But stop blaming yourself. Stop hoping it will go away. You are not required as a Christian to stay in an abusive, sinful context. When I talked last week about mutual respect and mutual submission and all the rest of it, that's, that's all true. I believe that's all true in Scripture. But here's what I, I don't believe is true. is for you to support sin. Stop it. You know, coming out of that question often is this. When there's sexual abuse or physical abuse, the person would say, do I have grounds to get divorced over this? And um, I want to be real careful when we start talking about things that God's Word doesn't talk about. I know there are people who probably disagree with me about this, but I'm just saying, you just show me from the Word. Um, I don't see how God's word deals with this specific thing. So for me to say, your husband physically abused you and it's not going to stop and you have grounds for divorce. I, I, I can't. Because I don't see it in the word. It'd be easy if I could. But I can't. Because I don't believe God's word deals with that specific thing. But you don't have to stay under it. I would never, we would never counsel you to stay in an abusive relationship. We would never counsel you to stay in a sexually abusive relationship. You need to get out. You need to get out and you need to get your kids out. And you need to protect them. And we're going to help you. And we're going to support you. I hope zero people ever contact us about this because it's not happening, but I'm more afraid that zero people would contact us because it is happening and they're not willing to do anything about it. Do what's right before the Lord. You are never called to condone sin in your relationship. And if it needs to be called out, call it out. Get help. Call the police. 
you are loved. And we need to demonstrate it when it needs to be demonstrated. That's abuse. When, when uh, marriage is a gross thing, the sickening implications considered, homosexuality. I'm not going to go into a message on homosexuality today. And The plain reading of Scripture is that marriage is between a man and a woman. That's the plain reading of Scripture. You've got to twist it. You've got to jump all over the place to get it to anywhere else but that. But this is where the warning, warning, warning for the rest of us self-righteous people comes through. We need to speak the truth to people. And we need to tell them the truth. And we need to help them. But we need to help them in a loving and a caring and a truthful way. But I'm never going to condone sin. But if someone is caught up in that kind of a lifestyle, they'd better know that we love them. Even though we call out the sin. But it's a gross thing. And the result of it in our world is devastating. Gender identification, all the rest coming out, out of that is just like, it's a sad, sad world we live in. It doesn't honor the Lord. It's not right. But God, help us to be people who are demonstrating love and care, even for people who that is their sin. Divorce. You know, I hear people sometimes say, no, we're going to get a divorce, so it'll be better for the kids. Well, okay, maybe you can bend it all around until you get there somewhere along the way, but don't you ever think that getting a divorce is not a gross thing for your kids? It is a gross thing. Well, people say, like, but, but don't, aren't there grounds for divorce in Scripture? And I'm going to tell you what I believe the two grounds for divorce are right now. Because of the hardness of people's hearts, because God isn't on the throne, it's not what God desires. It was not his plan. It was not what we were meant for in marriage. But there are times when sinfulness does allow and grounds for a scriptural, I believe, a biblical divorce. It's called adultery, but I believe it's really about unrepentant adultery, and I believe it's a continuing adultery where there is no repentance, no willingness to change, no willingness to. And then could a person? They could. You don't have to. You're not told to do this. But you could. But understand, it's a gross thing. Stood here at the end of the last service and talked to a couple whose sister is going through this right now. And the division it's causing in their family because him and his brother don't agree on what they should do. Even though I believe the story that they told me is that, that she would have biblical grounds. It's still a gross thing. It's still rooted in sin. Sinfulness by both people? Not necessarily. But it's still rooted in sin. Divorce is a gross thing. Here's one more. I've lost my first love. Watch for the lies that you choose to believe. Uh, I hear people say this. They're, they're struggling in their marriage. Their marriage has become a gross thing. And, and they come into my office and they say, 
I don't think I ever really loved him. Okay, I've never met a story of that. When I really took it back to the beginning, we're like, that's just a lie that now you're choosing to believe because you're looking for a way out. So maybe there is one, never been my experience. Um, or I don't love him anymore. Well, what happened? Why did it change? All I'm telling you is this is now a gross thing. I don't believe the lies. I get back to the truth. Put God back on the throne, but I'm not feeling it anymore. Well, you deal with the truth and you deal with your heart before God and you deal with being filled with the Spirit. You allow God in His time, in His way. Believe me, I don't believe it's easy. I don't believe it. But you allow God to rekindle what needs to be rekindled. Let Him do the work that's needed to be done that He would get the glory even in your marriage. See, I don't, I don't know what the excuse is for you or the reason is for you or how terrible the thing is for you. All I know is it's a gross thing. It is a gross thing because it doesn't bring glory to God. It doesn't put him in the place where he deserves to be. It's a gross thing. The next point is there's a sad impact, and the sad impact revealed in many, many different ways. Quickly, I want to talk about seven ways that a gross marriage impacts people or you. Um, the consequences are huge. The, the, the impact revealed, it's never a private matter. This is between my wife and I. No, it's not. Did you forget that God is not in this mix? Did you forget he's not first? So don't tell me it's a private matter. It's just between her and I. It's just between her and I and the Lord. No, it's not. The couple I just talked about, and now the family's being divided over what's going on in this family. It's not a private matter. It's not a simple thing. The impact of sin is expanding out. There's all kinds of people who are impacted by it. So what are the seven things that are impacted? First of all, your relationship with God is impacted. If you are the person who is abusive, or you're the adulterer, or you're the person caught up in porn, or you're the person, don't you come and tell me that your relationship with the Lord is sweet. Telling you you're in denial. No, but I'm reading my Bible, Pastor, and I'm praying. Well, your prayers are going about this far, because he who regards iniquity in his heart, the Lord doesn't hear him. And you can play games, and you can get in small group, and you can do all that. When you're living in sin, your relationship with God is affected. It has to be. And just because you don't allow God to reveal in your heart the things about this thing that you're doing, you're playing games with yourself, and you're playing games with your Lord. Your relationship to God, your relationship to your spouse's impact that I, you've already heard so much of that, I'm not even going to say any more about it. Your relationship with your kids I read this quote this week. You are cursing your kids instead of blessing your kids when you have a gross marriage. You are cursing your kids instead of blessing your kids when you have a gross marriage. Family, just talked about the division in one family, in one situation. The church, how it is impacted by this our society, your neighbors, all of that fits in that. And these people are looking at you and watching you and you are pretending to be something or were something. And now this gross malignant mess has grown and they're looking at you and all that. Shows you how good God is in your life. It's a gross thing. It impacts our, our community. 
And then I started with this as well with God. It impacts yourself. Your prayers are hindered. The word seems dry. You feel dead. See, there are huge impacts of a gross marriage because of selfishness, because of pride, because I want what I want and I just don't care what you want. Well, the good news is there is hope, right? Hope is not lost. Just like in every other area in our lives, hope is not lost because God is a redeeming God. God is a gracious God. God is a merciful God. And when we come in repentance, when we come with a turning, when we come with our heart to make things right, if, if, if it's spilt and it's over and you can't, can you fix all of that? No, you can't. But God can be glorified in it. But that's because of his nature. You see, God is no less a glory-filled God because of your failure. God is God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's a God of love and mercy and grace. He's a God of justice. He's a God of holiness. He's a God. All of those things are true of God, whether your marriage is a, a great thing or your marriage is a gross thing. God's character doesn't change. But the way you reflect on God's character... That's what we're talking about here. And so even at the lowest place, even if you're the guy in the room or the woman in the room who's caught up in adultery right now, God can still be glorified in this. If you will do the right things, if you'll do what God calls you to do, the restoration that I've seen in people in our church is amazing. It's amazing. And God will do it in your life if you will yield to him. And, and the joy that you once had that's gone now can be restored. Because God is faithful. Even when we are not faithful, he's faithful. Come in repentance. Come desiring forgiveness. Looking for reconciliation and restoration and you know, I didn't say in either of the other messages, um, here's a truth in all of this as I've watched it, and that is, so often, the person who is the instigator that makes a marriage a gross thing, the person who wasn't the instigator, somewhere along the line becomes the bad guy. And they become the bad guy because this person turns in repentance and gets right with the Lord, and now they're trying to figure out what does forgiveness look like? How do I do it? And, and they're now carrying this load and this weight and this pain. And they're like, I can't forgive, I can't forgive, I can't forgive. And like, they didn't even do it in the first place. But God can restore. And God can do that work. And trust can be rebuilt. And hope can happen. Well, so what? So what? A God-centered marriage is never a gross thing. To the married in the room today, I say remain faithful. Remain steadfast. Allow God to work in your marriage. You know, it's funny, you preach a, a message like this, I'm standing up here going, right, like the, the people think, that I think everybody in the room, their marriage is gross. No, I, I think most of the marriages in our room are really pretty good. Praise the Lord. But you all know somebody, or you have a family member, 
it might be your story, but this marriage, God's called you to be faithful to your marriage. Be faithful to it. If you're unmarried, now you're sitting there going, I am never getting married based on what he just said today. <laughs> I have a great marriage. I wouldn't trade my marriage outside of my salvation for anything else. And that's true of dozens and dozens of marriages in this room. But be careful and watch out and be cautious. Make good choices. For the hurting soul in the room, you need to know that God loves you and we love you and you need to seek help and get help. And we seek to reach out and bless you as you meander through this journey for God's glory in your life. For the person who's caught up in sin and disobedience, you need to be broken in your sin. You get on your face before God. You need to get right with your spouse. You need to get right with your kids because if you don't, this gross thing is going to devastate. If you're unsaved today, the greatest need in your life is not to work on your, mess in your marriage. The greatest need in your life is to know Jesus Christ because he is the foundation for every single solid God-glorifying marriage. Be right with Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Last night at the end of the service, um, a daughter brought her mom up who's a visiting from another country. She um, watches us on live stream every, every week. Kind of funny, we had some fun with it. I asked her if I was better looking live or on, you know, on the screen. So um, she didn't answer the question. <laughs> it's what it is. But they were the story of a marriage that broke down. And they needed to hear this message. It was hopeful for them. It was a blessing for them. I talked to another guy last night who a family member has come out as being gay and wants to get married. And he was just struggling with the sense of, like, what do I do with this? How do I, right? Well, watch for the beam and the speck. Watch for your self-righteousness in this. Allow God to work in this. But you need to demonstrate the love of Christ, who loved us when we were so unlovable, who loved us when we were nothing but sinners, had no desire for him. He kept on loving. And then I talked to a young couple just before we went out the door who thanked me for the message because for us, we needed to hear the warning. We need there. I don't want that to ever be our story. I don't want that to be the way our thing ends. I want God to get the glory in our lives. I don't know what God brought you to church to hear today, but whatever it is, don't be resistant to it. Hear it, listen to it, and respond as God would have you for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. The principles we have heard today come from your word, Lord. I pray that if anything I have said is not rooted in your word, that people will know how to dismiss it. But Father, they won't dismiss what's true, and they will do what's right. Father, help me to do that. I know for me, in preparing this message, it was a, dealing with the self-righteous piece, that I'd never be arrogant because this isn't my problem. Lord, you know my heart. You know where my problems are. 
teach us, Father, to have humble hearts that desire to serve you and bring glory to our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the disobedient person in the room today, I pray that you would bring them to brokenness and repentance. For the hurting person in the room, I pray that you would give them comfort through the power of your Holy Spirit as only you can. And as a church, Lord, may the words you are love not be empty words that reach out to the need where people are so that Jesus Christ would be exalted. We give all of this to you, asking you would lead us for your fame in Jesus' name. Amen.